Hello again, everybody, and welcome. I am your host, Lance Sinclair, and I want to thank you for tuning in once again this week. This week's episode is called Perception, How Perspective Distorts Experience. This episode is about how if we shift the way we look at the things that happen around us, we may also shift our emotional state and in turn live healthier and happier, more considered lives. Before I go on any further, I'd like to apologize in advance for my birds. They're very vocal. And uh, even though I'm at the other extreme end of my home, uh, from where they are, I could still hear them and the microphone could certainly pick up on their sound. So I'm very sorry if in the middle of this recording they intrude and uh, start chirping in the background. Uh, Regardless, Uh, Once again, I want to thank you for tuning in. If you haven't listened to uh, last week's episode, episode one, uh, What is Happiness? About defining happiness, identifying what it really is, uh, please go and check it out and let me know what you think about all this, about the content, if you like it, if you don't, if you have input, comments, jokes, insults, whatever it is, let me know, comment um, on it, you know, like it, share it, reach out to me through my website. Let me know what you think. I'm always open and willing to get some feedback. Now, before we dig in into the contents of this week's episode, let's cue the intro music. This is Perception, How Perspective Distorts Experience. If you are pained by the external things, it is not they that disturb you, but your judgment of them. And it is in your power to wipe out that judgment now. Those are the words of Marcus Aurelius, one of the greatest Roman emperors, taken surprisingly not from a speech to motivate the masses or philosophical teachings to be bestowed upon pupils, they come from his private journals and stand as a note to himself from the most powerful man on earth in his time. Marcus Aurelius ruled from the year AD 161 to 180. His empire defeated the Parthians in the east as well as threatening Germanic tribes during the long Marcomannic Wars. This great leader was known in his lifetime and ever since as a philosopher king of sorts. And his blameless character and temperate way of life was praised by historians as evidence of his profound knowledge. His collection of notebooks, known as the Meditations and composed while out on campaigns, remains one of the most touching sources of Stoic philosophical thinking today. Now, what Marcus was saying with those words was that problems are not created by the events in the world around us, but rather by how we interpret these events. Maybe that interpretation is a snap judgment, but it is in the interpretation that our problems are created. This is why the same event out there in the world affects a person very differently than how it affects you and I. You see, 
the wisdom lies here in understanding that it is our judgments about people and the things that happen to us that are responsible for how they seemingly make us feel. Nobody and nothing apart from our own perception of reality and our judgments truly makes us feel anything. Take a phobia, for example. Yeah, if you're afraid of heights, you might faint from the thought alone of standing on the roof of the Empire State Building in New York City. If you're afraid of the ocean, your heart rate will skyrocket and your blood pressure will go along with it from just sitting in the comfort of your living room watching the Titanic movie as the ship sinks. But if you think about it, it's not the height of the skyscraper that is the problem or the ocean itself because someone else out there might be numb to those same experiences that may make you anxious. Just ask a skydiver or a scuba diver. The problem lies in how such a person interprets those experiences. As a hypnotist, I can tell you with unshakable certainty and conviction that it's all in your mind. And how we choose to interpret the world around us is what shapes our plastic reality. Do you really think that your limited understanding of the world around you uh, will ever let you really have an objective view of reality? No. Nobody can see things for what they really are. And that's just a fact. But we should pay close attention to how we see the world around us and of the stories that we tell ourselves while making sure we're wearing the right glasses and that they're not fogging our vision. And if they are, that we wipe them clean so that we can have the clarity necessary to live a more considered and happy life. Having said all this, how can we, within our subjective view of the world, tell ourselves more helpful stories and begin to change the ways in which we interpret what happens around us? When we consider the things that trigger feelings of anger or depression in us, we may feel little hope for harnessing the level of control over our emotions that Marcus suggests in his notes. Yet, we may also ponder how rapidly we can correct an unhelpful emotion in life when new information comes to light. You might feel miserable and upset that your partner seems indifferent, even though your birthday is approaching. Until the night in question, you return home to find a surprise party has been prepared for you in your honor. Following that shock, the feelings of hurt and disappointment would instantly be replaced by something very loving. Likewise, we might feel rejected following what appears to be uninterested behavior of a friend or colleague, only to discover later that they're acting that way because they have received terrible news days prior. In this case, our resentment and our insecurities would turn into sympathy and probably embarrassment after realizing how oversensitive and insecure we can be. In these cases and countless more, we are correcting our beliefs about the target in question, be it our partner or a friend, their behavior, by allowing new information to be considered. Like this, a shift at the intellectual level has a near automatic effect at an emotional one. Of course, we want to say so-and-so is responsible for how we feel. The way we're treated by our boss is the very reason for our unhappiness in our workplace. 
We're angry because we lost our phone. And likewise, we are thrilled because the Eagles won during this year's Super Bowl or because we got a promotion at work. When your friend ignores you, surely it's his fault that we feel bad. And when we find out from his mom why he's been feeling down, surely it's her who created that emotion shift in us. Or is she? Someone else might not have been offended by the guy's indifference or been angered by having lost their phone or been too excited about the Super Bowl's winning team because, quite frankly, they could care less about sports. Or maybe he wanted the Patriots to win instead, so he is upset that they lost the game this year. The fact is this. We each react differently based on the stories we tell ourselves after perceiving the event in question and before feeling the emotion. And the intensity of our interpretation of such things will depend on our mood at the time. If you're already irritated by some other event, you're going to feel unforgiving toward this one and project your anger much quicker than uh, if you had received really great and positive news. The danger behind letting go of the wheel and not paying attention to why we feel the way we do is that we are often so focused on how unreasonable so-and-so's actions towards us are that we fail to even think about looking at our own role in the equation. Somewhat an arrogant way of thinking, isn't it? Moreover, the, the story we may be telling ourselves might be entirely unconscious. So we won't be at all aware of its existence. And when our friend makes us feel small, ignored, or rejected, our anger is just a reaction to how those feelings resonate with our history of similar experiences. So let's acknowledge that when we are mad at someone, or we feel sad, or scared, or embarrassed, or all of the above, the feelings are being created by that annoying little voice in our head and by the exaggerated movies we play out in our heads about what might not happen. For example, whenever I perform, be it for a group of 10 people or be it for a group of 2,000 audience members, be it uh, singing or reading minds on a stage, before I go on, I always feel nervous. I always feel a type of anxiety. Uh, I guess you could say fear of screwing up, right? But I acknowledge that emotion and I tell myself each time that this is an irrational feeling, that it makes no sense that I'm afraid of going up and speaking to this audience and performing for them, that I've done this a million times before, and that the only reason why I feel this way is because I'm, for some unknown reason, playing out a movie in my head of what could go wrong. But I have already rehearsed my lines. I have already practiced my song. So there's no reason for me to be afraid. And like magic, every time I finish that pep talk in front of the mirror before going on, I feel rejuvenated. I feel energized and ready to take the stage. In this very way, our unconscious thoughts interpret our past, present, and futures for us and our external events as reasons to feel angry, scared, or sad. It is helpful, therefore, in times of trouble to be more realistic. And when something bad happens to us, 
to say to ourselves, this is happening to my body, but it isn't happening to me. What I'm feeling right now is irrational and is coming from inside my head. Even though it sounds far-fetched, this kind of detachment encouraged by Stoic philosophy might be the only comfort remaining. The message is not that of blaming yourself if something bad happens to you either, but to realize that whatever happens to you does not need to affect you, your core self, unless you choose to let it do so. Understood correctly, this is a powerful message for victims of oppression, be it of race, beliefs, or sexuality. The fact is this, stepping back from the immediacy of our emotions and claiming responsibility for them is a very good starting point for living well. We might feel that the stoic model is difficult to apply when you're severely depressed or angry, but the point remains that taking responsibility for your emotions rather than insisting that the rest of the world recognize them and respond with sympathy is the most effective path towards sustaining relationships, solving problems, and therefore living happily. If you insist that you are purely the victim of your situation or that your anger is justified by the event at hand, consider whether someone else you know might respond differently to it, whether they would respond more positively if they found themselves in the same circumstance as you. If you can imagine that, then you can notice the key to your emotional response is not in the events, but in how you react to them. And of course, we're not saying that you're able to do this from one day to the next. It's a process. It's something you become accustomed to. Remember, when we're feeling low, I'm sure you'll agree that it is near impossible to see things for what they really are. But often, we have to hit rock bottom to realize the change that needs to be done for things to take a turn in a more positive direction. For example, realizing you're unhappy with your current partner is something you have to do before you make a change or find someone new. Hating your job and wanting to leave is a common motivator for getting out and starting something fresh that will make you feel more fulfilled and more happy. But when we are feeling down, we tend to be fixated on the negative if we do not realize we can control how we react to the things around us. I hope that you can take the initiative to look at your emotions more objectively when they arise and be more aware of why you feel what you feel and in turn regain control of the wheel and stir your mind and therefore your life in the right direction. I'd like to leave you with a quote from Viktor Frankl's memoir from the concentration camps titled Man's Search for Meaning for you to think about after this podcast. It reads as follows. Everything can be taken from man but one thing. The last of human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Once again, I'd like to thank you for tuning in to this week's episode, Perception, How Perspective Distorts Experience. I hope you found this week's episode helpful in some way, and uh, I hope you apply the things that I've mentioned here if you feel that they resonate with you. I'm your host, Lance Sinclair. Thank you for tuning in. If you want to find out more information about what I do and who I am, head on over to www.lancesinclair.com. Thank you once again. See you in the next one.